official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. But when I was 11 years old, I wanted to learn how to play the electric guitar. I wanted to be a rock star when I was a kid, like every kid, right? So my parents took me to see the elementary school band teacher, and we found out that they didn't have electric guitar in the elementary school band. So my dreams were like dashed all at once. And the elementary school teacher said, hey, you know, they do at the high school, though, they have a bass guitar, an electric bass guitar. And I said, well, it's electric and it's guitar. It sounds pretty cool. And so my parents took me to the high school. I was 11 years old. I was in fifth grade. And we met with the, ba- the band teacher there. His name was Lyle Crowfoot. And he agreed to give me a bass lesson. And so, you know, he showed me how to hold the bass and what the four strings were. And, and he showed me one note on it. It was F, how to play an F. And so I left that lesson thinking, wow, that was pretty amazing. And, and At the end of our lesson, he invited me to come to the high school band practice that day, at last period. And so I agreed to that, and I was really excited, but also very intimidating for a fifth grader to walk into a high school and to go into the band room. And I remember walking into the band room, and there's about 60 high school students. They're much older than I am. I'm just an 11-year-old little kid, right? And they're all kind of looking at me, coming in the room like, what is he doing here? And I walk over to where the bass guitar is, and there was a guy who was a senior in high school. His name was Charlie. I can't remember his last name, but his first name was Charlie. And this guy could play the bass guitar like nothing I'd ever seen or heard. He was all over the place on it. And so the band started practicing, and I was just in amazement. They were so much better than the elementary school band. They were so good. They were playing like modern hits like that you hear on the radio and this whole band and this bass player was ripping it. And so at the end of the first song, he handed me his bass guitar. He said, you play this next one. And he put some sheet music in front of me and I pretended I knew what it was. (laughs) I'd never seen sheet music before, but I knew one note, F. And the first song I ever played any music to, was the theme song for the 1982 hit TV show, Fame. A few of you remember that? Fame, I want to live forever. Yeah? A few old people remember that. But that was the first song I ever played, and, and I only knew one note. Fortunately, though, there were several Fs in that song. And so I got the bass, and I knew how to hold it, and I, had one, and I just started playing F through the whole song. And there were, you know, seven or eight notes. It just sounded amazing. It sounded like it was supposed to sound. And then there was a lot of notes in that song that just sounded so bad, right? Everyone's looking over at me like, that kid's just playing one note through the whole song. What is that little kid doing in our band? Well, those few notes that sounded right had me hooked. And so shortly after, my parents bought me my first bass guitar for Easter, And I was so excited, Uh, but I knew that that gift that my parents gave me, that bass guitar and that amplifier, I knew that it was the sort of gift that would require something from me. I was aware, I was conscious of the fact that my parents made a huge sacrifice 
to buy me that bass guitar and amp. They didn't make a lot of money. And so for them to, to buy that for me was a huge investment in my personal development. And I also knew this, that if I was going to really appreciate and enjoy this gift that I'd been given, and if I was really going to learn how to play like Charlie, that it would cost me something, that I had to dedicate myself to it. And so I had to impose some restrictions on my time. Um, I had to take lessons and be before long, we moved to another town, and, and my parents actually hired an instructor to teach me every week. They paid $25, and then I would get a half-hour lesson and learn how to play the bass guitar. And, and I practiced at least an hour a day for the next several years. There were some days I would play my bass guitar through the whole day, and I even had like blood blisters on the tips of my fingers to show how much I was playing it. And I had to say no to a lot of things. I had to say no to watching a lot of TV. I had to say no to hanging out to my friends. I had to say no sometimes to just sports and recreation because um, I really needed to spend time with my, with my instrument. And it was worth it. I, I loved playing music. So it was a sacrifice. There was definitely a sense of restriction on my time and on my life, but I was giving it to this gift of this bass guitar, right? And I was playing and I was loving making music. And I still do. I still love that. A couple of years ago, I uh, entered a songwriting contest and surprisingly won the contest and got an all-expense-paid trip to Greece to a songwriting camp where there was just a bunch of great artists and musicians. And I was the one amateur there. And I learned so much and had... It was a trip of a lifetime. It was such an amazing experience. And I was flying back home after the camp, and I just remember feeling this tremendous sense of gratitude toward my parents for investing in me by giving me the gift of that bass guitar. And I was also really thankful that I had fully given myself to that gift, that I had practiced and that I had, uh, you know, put, honored those restrictions I put on my time so I could learn how to play it. See, here's the thing. In order for us to fully appreciate and enjoy certain gifts, we have to do more than just receive them. We have to give ourselves to them. We have to give ourselves to them. And Scripture kind of talks this way about some gifts. Uh, scripture says this about the gift of salvation, that it's a free gift. Right? There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. It's something that's given to us freely. It says in the book of Ephesians that salvation is a, is a gift we receive by grace through faith. It's not something we do on our own. It's not something we earn. And so it shouldn't surprise us when we talk about some of the gifts that God gives us. That in order to fully appreciate it, see, here's the thing with salvation. Although it's a free gift, Although it's not earned, to fully appreciate and enjoy our salvation, we have to give ourselves to it, right? If, if we don't give ourselves to that gift, then we experience what, what's known as a nominal Christian life. But if we receive that gift, and we appreciate it, and we fully engage it, and we give ourselves to it, then we experience a very different Christian life. 
And so when we talk about the gifts of celibacy and marriage, uh, they function in a similar way. Scripture tells us that, that celibacy and marriage are gifts from God. And it also tells us that they're the kind of gifts that require something from us. In fact, I think it's fair to say that to the level we give ourselves to those gifts is to the level we'll appreciate and enjoy them, right? But that's easier said than done. I'm aware of that. How many married people know that marriage can be a lot of work? You're not raising your hand. You must be counselors and professional marriage people. Um, How many know this? How many know this, that being single can be really difficult at times? Yes, it can. And from my personal experience with these two gifts, uh, it, 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 figuring them out sometimes feels a lot like I felt when I walked into that high school band room in the fifth grade. I, I knew one note, and that sheet music was handed in front of me. I was like, what is this? When I reflect back on my time being single, and when I reflect back on the time being married, sometimes it just feels like that. Like, whoa, how do I do this? And, and sometimes it feels like I'm just playing the same note, hoping that I get like six or seven of them right. <laughs> you hit the right note, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I think I got this. And then you hear the, the, the off notes. You're like, why is this so out of key? Why, why is... is, is Embracing this gift of singleness and embracing this gift of marriage, why does it feel so out of tune at, at times? It's like I'm fumbling through trying to get a few notes right. But that's okay because learning how to dedicate yourself to these gifts is a process, right? Right? Oh, phew. I was thinking I was thinking to everybody who's arrived, like you guys are just like all perfectly embracing those gifts, and that's good to know. It's a process, right? And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to offer three pastoral suggestions to help us dedicate ourselves to these two gifts that God has given each one of us. I'm assuming everyone in the room is either single or married, okay? So that, that means it's, I want to kind of offer three pastoral suggestions to help all of us dedicate ourselves to the gift that God's given each one of us. So my first suggest, pastoral suggestion is this when it comes to singleness and marriage. We need to stop viewing singleness and marriage through the lens of freedom and happiness. I'm only giving you three points, so I'm going to say that one again, okay? We need to stop viewing singleness and marriage through the lens of freedom and happiness. And instead, what we need to do is we need to start viewing them as opportunities for spiritual formation. See, here's the thing. Neither of these gifts, singleness or marriage, can provide freedom and happiness on their own. Those are what what's, I call false narratives. Right? Can, can you be happily married? Sure you can. But being married will not make you happy. Can, can you be carefree as a single person? Sure you can. But being single will not make you free. Right? It's only being transformed into God's image, Scripture tells us, 
that accomplishes that. Look at this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 17. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. See, when we stop viewing marriage as the highway to happiness, and we start viewing it as a path to a beautiful kingdom life, it becomes formative. Then all of a sudden, marriage ceases becoming this self-serving endeavor. Right? I'm getting married because I just, I just want to be happy. We're happier if we're married. Well, that might be true, but marriage won't bring you happiness. And when we view marriage through the lens of happiness, and we, we don't view it through as a pathway to a beautiful kingdom life, we don't view it, view it as something spiritually formative, then, then, then we always feel disappointed. And the same thing's true with being single. If, if, we, if we stop viewing singleness as the avenue to freedom, and we start viewing it as a pathway to a beautiful kingdom life, that God wants to use our singleness to shape us and to form us, it changes our perspective, it changes everything. So let me ask you a question this morning. Um, let me ask the married people the question first. How is the Holy Spirit forming you through your marriage? Maybe he's teaching you some different things. Maybe he's teaching you how to put up with someone else who doesn't do things your way. <laughs> the, the Bible calls that long-suffering. <laughs> right? It means putting up with someone. Maybe he's teaching you how to be faithful. Maybe he's teaching you how to love well. Maybe he's using your marriage to teach you how to work toward peace or how to be gentle and kind. What is he, what is he, how is he using your marriage to shape you? Let me ask this question to the singles. How is the Holy Spirit forming you through your singleness and celibacy? Maybe he's teaching you patience. Perhaps he's, he's teaching you how to find joy in solitude. Or to appreciate simplicity and goodness, to exercise self-control. What is he teaching you? And how is he forming you? See, when we stop viewing singleness and marriage through the lens of freedom and happiness and get rid of that false narrative, and we start instead to see them as two pathways to a beautiful kingdom life, that we give them intentionality. They become opportunities for us to be spiritually formed and shaped by God. They no longer are self-serving endeavors. There's something bigger. There's something different. So that's my first piece the pastoral advice. You ready for the second? The first one was good enough to warrant a second? <laughs> okay. Here's the second way to kind of lean more fully into the gifts of celibacy and marriage. 
Number two, stop comparing. The scripture teaches us that comparing ourselves isn't wise. When we compare ourselves to somebody else, when we compare what we have to what somebody else has, it's not wise. Jesus actually taught a parable about it once. He taught a parable about a landowner who wanted to hire workers for his vineyard. And so at six in the morning, he went out and he hired some people in the marketplace who were looking for work. And then at 9 a.m., he went back to the same marketplace, found some more people looking for work, and he hired them. Then he went back again at noon, hired another group of people who were anxious to work. And then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he went back to the same marketplace and hired more people. And then at 5 o'clock, with just one hour left in the workday, he went back to the marketplace, found a few more, and he hired them to come work in his vineyard. Well, 6 o'clock evening came, and it was time to receive pay, and, and the landowner gave a full day's wage to every single person. Those who started at 6 in the morning, and those who started at 9 a.m., and at noon, and at 3 p.m., and at 5 p.m. And in the parable, it says the people who worked the longest noticed that they got the same wage as the people who worked an hour or three hours, or five hours, but they worked much longer. And it says that they got really irritated, really upset. And then in, in the parable, Jesus shows the landowner saying to those people who are irritated, don't focus on what I gave them, celebrate what I gave you. Didn't you all agree on a day's wage? I gave you what we agreed upon. See, here's the thing. When we compare what we've been given to what other people have been given, it'll always breed discontent. And, and I'll say one more thing on that. When we compare ourselves to other people, it'll always make us vain or bitter. One of those two things. You can compare what you have been given to what other people have been given. You can feel really good about yourself and become vain. Or you can compare what you have and what you've been given and what you're going through to what somebody else has, to what somebody else has been given, to what somebody else is going through, and it can make you really bitter. And neither of those outcomes is going to form you into the image of God. They're not going to. So while it's natural to want what we don't have, it isn't beneficial. And if we're not careful... We can easily incarcerate ourselves into what I call the prison of want. You ever done time in that prison? Where you just want everything that you don't have? You see a friend with a new car, you're like, oh, I wish I had a car like that. You see them get a promotion, it's like, why can't I get a promotion? You see them have this beautiful relationship, and you're like, well, I'm, I'm missing that. And here's how the prison of want works that whether you're a single person who wants the companionship and intimacy of marriage or whether you're a married person who wants the simplicity and freedom that singles have, you can end up imprisoned in a false narrative believing things like this. Man, if I were just married, I'd never feel alone again. So married people, they hear that and they're like, yeah, right. <laughs> or... We could say this, if I could just be single again, I'd be so carefree. 
couple singles rolling their eyes, right? <laughs> Thinking of that. These are false narratives, right? They're false narratives, and we can trap ourselves in them. Here's the truth. The secret of satisfaction doesn't reside in either one of these false narratives. Psalm 23, which Ian read earlier, tells us where we find satisfaction. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, if you want to find the pasture where discontentment goes to die, here's where you find it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You think sometimes we... we we get confused with freedom and contentment and happiness. We, we think contentment is having whatever we want, but contentment is not having whatever we want. It's saying no to the things that we want and being fine with it. Because the life that we have in God is better than what we don't have in life. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 4. He says this, I have learned, catch that word, I have learned to be satisfied with the things that I have. He goes on to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So if, if, if we want to lean in further, if we want to fully dedicate ourselves to the gifts that God has given us of celibacy and marriage, we have to stop comparing what we've been given to what others have been given. That's my second Suggestion. You ready for the third one? Last one? The third way to give ourselves more fully to these two gifts is to do less trying and more training. See, looking back on my fifth grade experience when I walked into that band room, trying harder was not going to help me a lick. I could have sat down on that bench and he could have handed me that guitar and I, I if I just would have said there, okay, I'm just going to try my hardest. I'm going to try my hardest to play this song and to read this sheet music. It wouldn't help me at all. Because I only knew one note. What I really needed was someone to show me how to play. I needed someone to show me more notes. I needed training. No matter how hard I tried, I was not going to be able to play the theme song to fame. And when I finally did learn that song, it wasn't because I tried hard. It was because I trained. It was because I took lessons, and my teacher showed me more notes, and they showed me how to read music, and I practiced the song over and over and over again. It was training, not trying, that taught me how to play that song. And herein lies the problem. When we struggle in our marriages, we typically resort to trying harder. We have some relationship discord in our marriage. We say, well, if I just try, let's just try harder. We just try harder. That'll be the solution. And so we wonder why we can't find our groove in our marriages. We wonder why we, 
occasionally we, we, we play the F note, right, and it works. It's like, ah, that, 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 that was like, we made music together. Look at that. That was awesome. But oftentimes, we only know one note. We're playing F through the whole song. And sometimes our marriage just sounds dissonant, and it sounds out of key, and it, and it sounds out of tune. And we're spending all of our energy on trying thinking that trying harder is going to be the solution. But until we start training, our relationship skills are going to be meager at best. And there's a a huge difference between trying and training. That's why counseling, that's why mentoring, that's why community is so vital to married couples and families. Several years ago, our family went to family counseling for about a year and a half. We went to family counseling because there were some notes that just weren't sounding right. We'd hit some notes, man, and they were like, oh, this is great. Then we'd hit some notes and be like, that sounds out of tune. And so we went to see this counselor. And for me personally, I was at a time in my life when I was pretty frustrated in in my parenting. Um, Constantly dropping the hammer on my kids being overly stern, disciplining them for just the littlest things. Have you ever been there, parents? And you're just kind of frustrated with that. And so one day we were talking to the counselor, and I was sharing this with him, and he asked the question, why do you do that? It's a good question, right? That's why he gets paid the big bucks. And so my response was, well, because if they act this way when they're older, when they're 17 and 18, it's going to be really problematic. It's a pretty good response, I thought. And he just kind of paused, tilted his head a little bit, you know, the counselor thing that they do. <laughs> they're trained at that. And he says this to me. Stop projecting their, fut- their current behavior onto their future. And he went on and he said this, they have plenty of time to learn and to grow. Let them be kids. And I'd never heard anything like that. And he went on to say, he asked me this question, hey, did you mature and grow as an adolescent? And I said, yeah. He said, so will they. Stop projecting their current behavior onto their future. Man, I needed to hear that. That was formative for me as a parent to hear. Now, I haven't arrived as a parent yet. I got a lot more practice and training to do. I figure by the time all my kids leave, I'll have it down cold. (laughs) By the time I'm a grandparent, man, I am going to be so good at this. (laughs) See, they're going to be awesome. See, sometimes, sometimes you just need someone to show you how to play. Right? You just need to have some friends to practice with. Are you going to be perfect? No. But training is a process. Trying gets you frustrated. And I say the same things to all of our single people here, that, that you need community, you need counseling, you need mentoring. And you can try as hard as you want to, to, to embrace that gift that God has you in, but you'll be frustrated if you try harder. I think one of the problems with, with churches, and maybe even in our church, is when we preach, we, we tell everyone, hey, just try harder at being a follower. Just try harder. 
being a follower of Jesus. And we neglect this whole idea of training. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, here's what it says. Train yourself to be godly. Notice what it doesn't say? Try really hard to be godly. Just, just try. Will you just try harder? Get your act together and try harder. It doesn't say that. It says train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So let me ask this question. What would it look like for you to try less and train more? What would that look like for you? Who might you invite into your life to challenge you and to cheer you on, to mentor you, to coach you, just to be a friend to talk to? What do you need to start practicing more? What do you need to start practicing on a continual, regular basis? What are some restrictions you need to put on your life so that you can sit down and learn how to play? How can you shift your efforts from trying hard to training more? We're going to take communion together this morning. And interestingly enough, when we read the Gospels, what we find is that it was the Last Supper in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus fully gave himself to the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed this prayer, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Yet not my will be done, but your will be done. That's when he fully gave himself to the cross. And so the table this morning for us, it offers us a tremendous opportunity where we can ask ourselves the question, how do I give myself more fully to God? How do I give myself more fully to this gift of salvation? How do I give myself more fully to this gift of marriage? How do I give myself more fully to the gift of singleness and celibacy? Well, maybe it's through one of the three ways I suggested. Maybe it's, for some people, it's just as simple as as changing perspective. To stop viewing our singleness and our marriage through the lens of freedom and happiness. And instead start viewing them as opportunities for spiritual formation. Maybe for others here, it's um, a reminder as we come to the table to just stop comparing. Stop comparing my marriage to that marriage and my singleness to that singleness or vice versa. My singleness to marriage, my marriage to singleness. Maybe it's just stop comparing. Letting ourselves out of the prison of want into just freedom and liberty. Just embrace what God has given us to allow it to spiritually form us. Maybe it's trying less and training more. Engaging community. Finding a friend to talk to. Getting some counsel. Putting putting some healthy spiritual practices in place in our lives. Whatever it is, we're going to need God's help. Right? If you've walked in singleness for any period of time, if you've walked in marriage any period of time, you know that you need God's grace. You know that you need God's help. So as we come to the table this morning, let's, let's ask God for that. Let's 
Just like Jesus gave himself fully to the cross, let's say, God, I want this, but not my will be done, your will be done. Can we do that this morning? And then we'll sing together. Let me pray. We'll have the band come up. What we'll do is we'll pray and then we'll worship together. And I'm just going to invite everyone when the song starts to, when we're done praying and the song starts to play, come up and take the bread and the cup. Take it back to your seats and we'll take it all together. It's gluten-free so everybody can participate. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for the investment you've made in us. Because the gift that you gave was bigger than any gift we could ever dream of giving. You gave us your son so that we could know freedom and liberty and salvation. And you continue to give us gifts, even gifts like celibacy and marriage. But God, if we're honest, sometimes we approach those um, really don't know what we're doing. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to get a few notes right. We fumble through our week and our month and even the years trying to hit some notes that sound right. But Lord, we can't, we can't give ourselves to those gifts fully without your help. God, would you help us to stop viewing our singleness and our, our marriage through the lens of freedom and happiness, those false narratives, those false promises that just, just bring devastation to us? because they're self-seeking in many levels. Instead, would you help us to see our singleness in our marriage through the lens of spiritual formation? Gifts that you've given us to form us and to shape us into your image so that we could find freedom, we could find your goodness. And Lord, would you also help us to, to stop comparing ourselves among ourselves? Pray for every person here who's trapped in the prison of want. It is so discontent with, with what they have that they, they, can't, they can't experience or feel any hope for future. God, would you free them this morning? And Lord, we pray for, for those of us who, who try our hardest to be a good disciple, try our hardest to follow Jesus. We try our hardest to, to, to serve our spouse. We try our hardest to, to live uh, this faithful single life. Lord, we get so many notes wrong. Would, would, you, would you give us the courage and the commitment and the dedication to do less trying and more training? Lord, we, we just come before you in humbleness and ask for your help. God, for every marriage here that and all, all of our friends that we know, God, and their marriages are struggling, would you, would you just rescue them? And for all of the folks in our community who are single and are struggling, Lord, would you rescue them as well? God, would we be able to, to walk down these two beautiful paths to a kingdom life and not just wander down the paths haphazardly? God, would you give us intention, focus, discipline, so that we could be formed, that we could be transformed into your image, and that we could be icons to a world that desperately needs to see you for who you really are.
So as we come to the table this morning, we take the bread and the cup. We remember what Jesus paid. We remember what Jesus gave, this gift of himself that was invested in us. God, may we fully appreciate and enjoy and embrace that gift and not live nominal lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.